Shalom and welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We thank you for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to touch base with us, uh, please email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. Visit the website, jewishsacredaging.com. And please also visit the Facebook page, uh, Jewish Sacred Aging on Facebook. Um, as many of us, most of us, or all of us on our community know, we are living in very, very difficult, challenging times uh, with the war and how to translate the realities of that war back to our communities, as well as what is happening as a result of that in the United States of America and really around the world with the rises in anti-Semitism and changes in wholesale relationships that we thought we took for granted for many, many, many years. We are very pleased, and I thank him very, very much. He's just all recently off of a plane from Israel on a mission. Um, we welcome to today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, Rabbi David Levin, who is the founder and director of Jew the uh, Jewish Relationships Institute based outside of Philadelphia, um, member of the Board of Rabbis of Greater Philadelphia, and just off the Board of Rabbis uh, mission to Israel. And we wanted to talk to David today about what he saw, what he felt, what his impressions are, and to be truthful, how do we translate all of that back into our own communities, uh, regardless of where we are? So, David Baruch Abba, thank you very much for for joining us today, and I hope you're uh, somewhat recovered from jet lag. Um, in what was, uh, and and we talked a little bit about this before we went on air. What obviously was a, a rather momentous and very very meaningful and powerful trip. So let me just jump right in. Um, you were there for, how, for for a very short amount of time, if I remember correctly, just less than a week, right? Less than three days. Uh, yes, 56 hours on the ground. Okay, so you were uh, uh, run ran all over the state. You met some unbelievable people. If you could try, I know I'm sure this is difficult, and try to encapsulate one one image that that stuck with you what was it well there are there are several images uh that that come to mind that um made this so powerful a trip um i think among the very powerful images would be um the the images of um a shabbat table that was set outside of um the Tel Aviv uh, Museum, uh, with 240 spaces, um, some of which, instead of and fully set for Shabbat, so there was wine on the table, there were halot on the table, um, and some of the chairs all were empty. Every chair had a picture of a hostage uh, that had been taken, and some of those chairs were high chairs with baby bottles. Uh, representing the children that had been kidnapped. Um, another extraordinary image that's sort of indelibly etched in my mind at this particular point. Um, we were taken to a, we'll call it a parking lot. Uh, it was a, an open field that had been converted into a place for the burned out hulks of cars that, um, this was the smaller of the two lots. It had about 200 burned out vehicles, many of which came from the, um, the concert that was going on that, that 
horrible morning of October 7th. And the cars are completely burned out in various stages of destruction. And uh, Zaka was there tagging the vehicles as they were able to identify human ash remains. And seeing those tags attached to the frames of the cars, um, it makes me well up now just thinking about it. So th What's those are, it, those are, yeah, I'm sorry. What, for people who may not be familiar with this organization, what's Zaka? Right. Zaka is a, an organization um, uh, of traditional observant Orthodox people whose mission is to help recover human remains so that they can be given proper burial. And um, they're, they will go out and retrieve bodies or retrieve body parts. Uh, in this case, there were no body parts to retrieve. There was nothing but ash because of the intensity of the fires. So their mission is to bring whatever they can back to to the families so that they can observe a proper uh, a proper burial. David, if I'm not mistaken, um, you have training and have gone into places as part of um, trauma support and chaplaincy here in the United States and various various um, natural disasters and also non-natural disasters. So you have, um, you've seen, how did, when you saw some of this and walked in these fields and how did that trauma training impact you? The interesting question, uh, the, the nature of, of the work is after the fact. Uh, so you're walking through the remnants or the aftermath of devastation. So whether it, um, I think uh, actually the one that I'll contrast with is I, I was uh, deployed to Pittsburgh uh, as part of the Red Cross team. And um, we were not allowed to go into an active crime scene, which was the Gates of Life Synagogue. Uh, our mission, our work centered around caring for the people that uh, remained. The, um, the difference is, of course, that um, we saw the crime scene. We were in the crime scene. Uh, we saw the aftermath up close and personal from burned out cars to bullet holes and knocked out windows um, to live memorials at the spot at which people actually fell. Um, so it, it was a different, uh, more intense, uh, and if you will, a more intimate kind of an experience than than uh, what I have been previously accustomed to in a post-calamity kind of a situation. Uh, if I remember correctly, when we talked before, you, you you were given access to view the uncensored uh, video uh, that the IDF had. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, it, uh, well, it's... Um, I can't put into words. Uh, I, I'm, as, as you know, I'm pretty good with words. Um, rabbis truck in words. That's what we do. Um, I can't put into words what I saw. Uh, it's, it, it was grueling. It was gruesome. It was grotesque. Um, it was beyond 
anything that I had personally had a chance to visit. Um, and it was even worse than any of the, the films that have been released to the public. Uh, gruesome, absolutely gruesome and unspeakably savage. Um, and, um, bizarre in, in its own way, absolutely bizarre that human beings could be doing this to other human beings and, and come away with, I guess the frightening thing is a sense of, of almost joy, mm -hmm. um, out of that experience and, and watching them also scarily, um, uh, feeling like they were doing something, um, in the name of something holy as counterintuitive as as wrong as that would be to to our mindset uh you saw some of this almost orgiastic joy uh that was that was happening as these people were engaging in just brutal acts of savagery so you you go there for two days or however many hours you see this um, you walk through the fields. I remember you, you, you described to me, um, being in a field doing some stuff with a, with an IDF helicopter hovering above you to make sure that you were, you're safe and driving on a road with watching the tanks fire into a war zone. Um, you've been home for a couple of days. How do you begin to process this? You, you can't compartmentalize it, can you? You know, I wish I could. Uh, today started at about five o'clock in the morning. Um, and that's been, that's been more often than not. Uh, so no, I, I'm still in the process of trying to understand what happened and what does it mean? Uh, and those are, I think, probably two questions that need time to, to develop and need time to understand. And they're probably two of the most important questions that we need to be asking ourselves as we move forward. It's not, it's not my question. I, I went over there to bear witness. Uh, my time there was specifically designed to expose me to some of this stuff and some of the stories that come along with this stuff from hostage uh, survivors uh, to survivors of uh, murder victims. Um, and all of the horrors that, that happen in war displaced persons internally within Israel. But my job is to bring that back to our community here and try and help process it because this is, as you and I had talked about, this is a fundamental existential exercise for the world Jewish community. Uh, this is not happening over there. As much as it's happening over there, it's also affecting us. And anti-Semitism, uh, is a, a very real, uh, thing. Uh, the, the, I, I think that, uh, this, this, I'll call it catastrophe that happened in Israel, uh, was an indicator and an opportunity for, for folks to peel back, uh, what was a covering and expose raw anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism isn't limited to a geographic location. It's Jew hate. And wherever we are, we become the subject or target of that. So being here, being there, 
we're in this very much together, both Israeli, Israeli Jew and diaspora Jew. We're confronting very similar issues and we need to understand how we proceed forward together. Yeah, next week on, on this podcast, uh, we recorded it earlier. Um, there's some of the people from the local uh, regional office of the Anti-Defamation League who monitor this. And Andrew Goretsky, who's the regional director, was, was mentioning the overwhelming increase in the amount of anti-Semitic calls and uh, incidents just since October the 7th that have come into uh, their office. Part of your rabbinate, um, uh, and, and we've known each other for a few years, uh, has tried to uh, do some work interfaith-wise, reaching out, building coalitions, building relationships, etc. Now you've come back with this and these images. And you come back to the United States and you see a lot of those people who we marched with and walked with and they, they, there's, they've been very, very silent. Or, you know, making statements without understanding the horror of October 7th. I'm sure you've begun to think about how do I translate this back into the world that I'm living in, carrying with me all these. How do you begin to process this now? Well, there's, for starters, all of that is true. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't keep us from doing the work. It, it gives us a heightened sense of urgency and importance to that work. And yes, I've been deeply disappointed by either silence by people that I thought were people of good faith or goodwill and even more disappointed by the vitriol and the hatred that could come out from others. But we can't lose sight of the fact that there are many people of goodwill and people of faith who are trying to be supportive. And we need to continue to build on those relationships. Um, I have, as, as you know, I've got, yeah, I'll just, this is not a shameless plug, but I've been actually wearing and sharing these, these key posts and it becomes a rather obvious public identifier as to who I am. Um, I have not been accosted in a bad way since I've been wearing this. And, and I started wearing this uh, about a week after the war started. Um, I, I had these ma manufactured for us. Um, but I have gotten a lot of people reaching out to me, uh, just touching me on the hand, you know, walking through Costco. I had a couple stop me, stop me right at, right at the office chairs and said, I just want to say I'm sorry. And that has happened innumerable times. Um, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the airport, people would stop me, not Newark, uh, Newark rather, not, not Tel Aviv. Um, but, uh, people would stop me there. I had several people on the plane. In fact, my wife was kind of marveling, uh, that we were, we took a subsequent flight right after I came back. Uh, we were traveling, uh, elsewhere, uh, that I had something to do. And, um, several people on the plane as we were boarding would stop me and say, I'm so sorry. I just want to reach out and let you know you're not alone. Um, those are the people that we need to understand 
are with us, even if they may not completely agree with us. They can show empathy. They can show caring, uh, the deep human compassion that, that we hold as sacred, uh, in our faith traditions. Uh, they have, they're there. They're out there. And we cannot allow the bad experiences to taint what is our moral compass. Uh, this is, this is a moment of real truth for us because it's very easy to recoil, uh, from, from the hatred when you're exposed to it and then suppress what is Jewish wisdom that's telling you, no, you can't hate your neighbor. No, you can't. You've got to be a light to the nations. And that means working with a moral clarity and a moral compass. And we can't sacrifice that because then the bad guys win. And, and our tradition doesn't bear up under the strain and it can bear up under the strain, but that depends on us. So we need to be able to come together. We need to be able to find support amongst ourselves. And we need to find support in those members of the greater community who understand that um, anti-Semitism, or more appropriately, Jew hate, has no place. Just like it, Muslim hate, racism, all of those things don't don't have a place in our in our civil society. And, and we've got to, we've got to work really, really hard on that. And, and, uh, it's, it, this is a clarion call. I think this is a pivotal moment for us as Jews in America. I, I think for a long time, there was, a, there was a lot of hope, um, perhaps delusion that, um, we were going to make it. We were quote white. We fit into the general socioeconomics of, of the culture and, um, we were okay. And uh, anti-Semitism was like that happened over there. And we got on the boat and we were okay. We're fine here. And it turns out not so much. But it also turns out that there are people who really do buy into America as a melting pot for good. And those are the folks that we have to align with and make sure that we continue to reinforce, even to our kids, more importantly, more importantly to our kids, not to be afraid to identify proudly with a tradition that stands strong in values of human compassion and decency, even if people may not treat you decently? This is a cynical question. Um, do you think there's any danger six months from now, a year from now, when this fades into hopefully history, we're overwhelmed with an election campaign and all the mishigas and childishness that that's going to bring? Do you think there's any danger that the bulk of the American Jewish community is going to say, well, we made it through that crisis and everything's okay? There's all, yeah, of course. Uh, it's not a cynical question. I think that that goes to uh, the issues of human nature. And it becomes up to us to, to um, stand up to that. Uh, I think part of the reason why we are where we are today, um, you know, anti-Semitism didn't go away. Uh, I would argue that it, it receded into under the rug or into the cracks behind the wall. It didn't go away. And we, I think that we, we became a little bit complacent. Our Jewish identity, uh, became, uh, well, it, it, it faded in its importance in terms of identity, uh, actively embracing Jewish culture, Jewish, um, Jewish social circles, Jewish religious circles. Uh, a lot of people are 
culturally or ethnically Jewish, as, as they would identify it, and not affiliating with institutions, particularly the legacy institutions, as you know. Part of that is uh, our inability to make sure that the message that we offer resonates. And part of it is, you know, uh, well, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to circle the wagons anymore. Uh, it could never happen here. And I think what we believe that, uh, and, and there were many reasons why it seemed like that was a reasonable assumption to make. Uh, so yeah, I do believe that, um, that people will, if they can go back, um, we will see, we will see, I'm sure, repeats of previous, previous historic cycles. Uh, or at least rhymes with previous historic cycles. There will be people who will actively champion what they believe in. There will be people who are going to go along to get along. There will be people who just plain old sell out. Um, in that regard, um, Judaism understands we're not different from other groups in that, in that respect because we're dealing with human nature. So yeah, you're going to see that, Richie, and and part of part of what we need to do is um, spend time with our kids, spend time with our grandchildren, foster a, an element of pride that is based in a tradition that is really worth celebrating and really worth living. So if we can if we can continue to engage that, we will reach the people that we can reach, and the people that we can't reach, you know, we we will we will try, but our focus needs to be on giving them the best potential experience, uh, and I'm speaking as rabbi to rabbi, and, and not just rabbi to rabbi, but rabbi to everyone who understands and values the tradition that we, that we identify with. So that's our job. So on your trip, and you alluded to this, can you recall of all the, the experiences, the stories, was there one story that just reached you more than anything else, just blew you away, just transfixed you? There, there were actually so many. Um, there's, there's one, um, the head of security at, uh, at a place called Stot Negev, which is just around the envelope, the Gaza envelope. Um, he was out. He heard something as head of security. He heard something uh, via radio that uh, something was coming down. Uh, he went out in his car to try and um, to try and uh, find out what was happening. Found approximately a caravan of forty cars fleeing the scene of the uh, concert. Uh, he pulled out his his megaphone and yelled, "Follow me!" and got. People to follow him it, on his radio. He learned that there was Hamas terrorists to the north. So he turned around. They tried to go in the other direction. There were Hamas terrorists who had blocked the other route. And he decided, okay, follow me. We're going into the field so we can get in the back way into, into uh, the community and uh, we'll be safe. And 30 cars followed him. And approximately, uh, he said there were 12 cars that did not follow him because they didn't think that the terrain would be good enough or they thought that they could outrun whatever may, may or may not have been there. Um, he went back to retrieve the bodies from all 12 cars. Wow. 
None of them made it. Uh, there are a lot of stories like that. Uh, acts of incredible heroism. Uh, there is a, a reporter, a Palestinian reporter, um, who shared that she stayed on the phone. A friend of hers called her while they were locked in their safe room. And she spent, she saved their lives because she became the coordination between friends in the IDF and friends who were reservists who came south and she directed them by having this conversation, ongoing conversation with this, with this family that, um, was essentially being held hostage inside of their own, uh, of their own house. Uh, she was a hero. Um, there's that woman in, uh, Ofakim, uh, who invited the terrorists into her home and served them, uh, food, uh, and kept them occupied long enough for the IDF to come in and take them out. So she and her husband were, um, were, uh, saved as a result of this extraordinary act. How she had the presence of mind to pull that off, I don't know. Uh, the fact that she did, um, there were several people in that community that were killed, uh, but she saved the lives of God knows how many more because of what she did, this incredible bravery. On that note, her house, by the way, is riddled with, with bullet holes, uh, as you would imagine. We were standing there and we were getting the debrief on what was going on in this community that morning. And um, we had this, we had this um, older man. Obviously, he was uh, religious. He was that he had a nice long white beard, uh, and he, you know, he was about my age. Would be my guess, and um, he was making noise behind us. Uh, he had three or four what looked like yeshiva bruchers with him, and uh, they were making noise. And the initial reaction, my initial reaction, was, "Oh, here's here's just an obnoxious Orthodox guy who wants to intrude on us for whatever reason." just because we're there and he doesn't think we belong. And um, a couple of us went over to him to find out what it was, why he was there, why he had to be in that spot doing what he was doing. And he was standing in front of the memorial where his son fell. Mm. It was, uh, it was Shloshim and it was the first chance that he had to say Kaddish. Yeah. So, that was an extraordinary, extraordinary moment. Um, and it went, and I guess be, it, the boomerang effect of, of going from one mindset to understanding more fully what, what was actually happening, uh, made it even more, more extraordinary. Um, there's a lot of them. And, and there are, there are, for every Israeli, there's a story associated with that day uh whether it's the the people who were marching in the streets of tel aviv uh a few days before because they were um anti-government uh and the policies that the government was trying to impose uh in terms of judiciary reform they were the first guys running to the front line you know this this idea of coming together uh, the Israeli population has done an extraordinary job. There's this one of the signs, one of the catchphrases is uh, Yachad Minetzach, um, which could be translated and or Bil Yachad, 
Netzach. It could be translated in unity, uh, we will persevere. Um, given what I saw in terms of the, uh, the mindset of the Israelis, I think it's probably better translated, realistically translated as together somehow we're going to get through. And everybody is trying to come together, but it's compounded by competing goals that, that are ill-defined at this particular point in the public eye. Uh, a, a level of distrust or a feeling of betrayal by the government that was supposed to be there to protect them. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, the, the, the question that, that seems to catch the headlines uh, from, from the survivors is, where were you? Where were you? You, you promised that we could live here peaceably because you were going to protect the border and you were going to make sure we were safe. And you didn't. And we were slaughtered. Uh, so that there's, there's a tremendous amount of stuff that's going on in, in the Israeli mind right now, trying to figure out how, how to understand what happened and what to do with it once you figured it out. And there are, there are long ways from doing it. We are historically a resilient people. But your gut, your, I'm, I'm sure you process some of this, maybe even on the plane ride home and subsequently. But crystal balling, and I know this is difficult, if not impossible, but looking forward a year from now, two years from now, where do you think Israel is as a result of this? We all have agreed that this is a fundamental shift. Where do you think this country is? I, I still think that they will be picking up the pieces. I, I really? don't think a year from now we will have figured it out. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, October 7th was a turning point, and the Israel that we thought we knew no longer exists. Um, what it will become, I don't know. I think that there is, on many levels, a, an absolute level of disgust for the slaughter, the bloodshed, the unresolvable enmity between two peoples. Um, there are a lot of people uh, who don't find that as discomforting as others, but I think um, the center and the left will assert itself in ways that it had um, probably ceded a lot of its political influence through voting. Uh, over the years, uh, being comfortable economically and thinking that there was a security and military superiority and that the other side was not so sophisticated and couldn't possibly pull something like this off. Um, but indeed, here they we did. are. They did. And, um, it's, it's incredibly sobering. Uh, I do think that, um, I do think that there has to be a reckoning, uh, and, and a, a fundamental Reevaluation of what it is that Israel is. What does Israel stand for? You think the American Jewish community will rally around this? Or do you think that there will be some people who say, I don't even, I, who will leave the community because they're scared because of this interest in anti Semitism? I mean, I, none of well, us can answer that. We don't know. But I'm asking yeah, your opinion. I, I, I uh, yes, uh, you know, look, people, people have 
left for a variety of reasons. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I guess rhinoplasty wouldn't be as popular uh, otherwise. Um, and, and I'm not trying to be cute, but the idea that we could fit in, that we could blend into something else. And, and I don't want to hearken back to another very dark time, but the Nuremberg Laws made it very, very clear that there are ways to find out whether you want to admit publicly or not as to your Jewish background. We can know. And, um, and there are people who right now talking about re-emerging some of that, but it's in code language. But if you know right. history, you know history and read history, it's not, co it's code language, but we know what really the code is for. We do. And, and we can sugarcoat it. We can try and give it a different kind of a wrapper. But the bottom line is that the message remains the same. So it's up to those of us who are willing um, to stand up for what we believe in. I am, I am deeply, deeply aligned with the concept of Israel. I love what it is supposed to be, uh, and it's aspirational. Uh, in many ways, it, fa it falls terribly short of where it should be, but I can still love it and work to improve it. I am likewise a patriotic American. I love this country deeply. Um, it did give us a place to go and give us opportunities unparalleled in our history for so many, for so long. Um, and the idea of the rule of law, the idea of democracy, again, in many respects, the United States of America is aspirational as well. But that's why I'm committed to the political process to try and continue to champion the things that I believe in to make equality and justice and liberty things that, that stand out. That's our, that, that is, we can embrace this as our challenge or we can run away from it and pretend and maybe you'll get away with that. But it doesn't mean that the ugly and the hatred went away. It just meant that you escaped it in the moment. Well, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting, frightening, but true. Whether you are in the land of Israel or in the land of the United States. Elections have consequences. And um, when you have to live with those consequences that hopefully send that message that you're talking about. But uh, vigilance and, but again, what you were talking about, the pride of who we are and our people and our ability to survive even in the darkest of times, and to celebrate that, uh, I think that is a and message. And to love something which, to love something despite the fact that it's flawed. So I'll put, I'll, I'll add a little bit more to that. You know, I used the phrase "Yachad Netzach" uh, earlier. Uh, "Yachad Netzach" really isn't the rallying cry just for the Israeli community. "Yachad Netzach" is the rallying cry for world Jewry. This is the opportunity for us to understand that we are all in this together and we can determine how we move forward together. On that uh, very important note and hopeful truth, uh, let me thank you, Rabbi David Levin, uh, for sharing your experience and your message, um, ultimately a message of hope uh, in these very, very dark times. So thank you, David.
Welcome back. Uh, hopefully you can get some rest and continue the good work that you're doing uh, here in the local area and, and nationally as well. And um, I will see you soon, I hope. Um, I hope so. I, I look forward to it. And um, I, I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving because there, there is, with all of this stuff, we still have much to be grateful for. So get those leftovers. So uh, <laughs> to all of you, thank you very, very much for giving us your time and sharing that time with us today on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. If you'd like to help us continue this work, um, if you go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and click on the donate button, we appreciate anything you can do. And for those of you who'd like to sponsor some of these podcasts, uh, just please email me uh, at rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com, and we'll take it from there. Secrets of Meaning is produced in the Broadcast Center of Lubeck and many companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and a sincere and wonderful thank you to our producer, Steve Lubetkin. Thank you for joining us today. It is a very, very challenging time, and we really do appreciate you being with us and look forward to seeing you again on the next Secrets of Meaning. In the meantime, just take care of yourself, stay healthy, stay safe, and be kind to one another. Shalom.